He is risen. Okay, all right. Uh, some of you are not traditional Christians. In the traditional church, the, the refrain is that the, the minister would stand at the front and go, He is risen, and the whole congregation would together say, He is risen indeed. Okay, can we try that? One, two, three. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Are you happy about that? Hopefully by the end of this morning's sermon, you're going to have a little bit, of more, bit more jump in, your, in your, your stride. We're looking after a little dog at the moment, and this little dog's name is Rosie. It's a miniature Yorkshire Terrier, tiny little package of fun. And I love this dog because every time you come through the door between the garage and the main house, we've got a little, a little bell that goes ding, ding, and the dog comes scampering through, and she's, she jumps up like this, whoosh, whoosh. She's just like jumping up in joy, you know, and I was thinking, thinking sometimes in our worship we come into the house of God and some of us are like Rosie, we're young and alive and we're like, Lord, we're excited. And then some of us are like old dogs. I pray that God would make us alive like Rosie, our little dog in our home right now. So he is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read a text to you this morning from the scripture. And um, maybe if you've got your Bible, you'd like to go there. Uh, I don't have the slides on the screen. This is from Luke 24. We're going to read verses 36 through to verse 43 this morning. And I'll just give you a little bit of context in, the, in this passage from uh, Luke, Luke 24. Basically what's happened over here is that the, the women have, had gone to the tomb on, on that third morning and they had found that tomb empty. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Peter, when they went back, uh, the Bible says that actually they went back to the remaining 11 disciples and uh, the, disciple, the way Luke words this, he says, the words of these women seemed to the disciples as idle tales. They did not believe the woman. But Peter, he, uh, he got up and he ran to the tomb and he found the, the, the linen clothes, the grave clothes in, in the tomb. And he was amazed at what had happened. And then Luke tells us about these two followers of Jesus who were on the road to Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And, uh, and as they were walking, talking about what had been happening in Jerusalem over the last couple of days, this guy just appears and begins to walk with them. And then, you know, as, as it comes to the end of the day, they say, hey, don't, don't you want to sit down and have something to eat? And, and as they begin, they, they immediately, they, the scripture says their eyes were opened and they saw who it was. They saw who it was Je- that it was Jesus. And so they then turned around and went back to Jerusalem and spoke to the 11 disciples and told them what had happened. And then we're going to pick up the story here in Luke because in verse 36, the disciples here are, are together and they're talking about this. So they're talking about, is, can it be true? You know, is, is this you know, for real? What, what's going on? Can you just imagine yourself in this, in this room? And it says, while they're talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, uh, peace be with you. <laughs> can you picture it? <laughs> you know? standing in a room or talking in a room and suddenly the guy's there. It says they were startled. Not only startled, Luke says they were terrified. Uh, They thought that they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus said to them, why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And he says, says, look at my hands and, and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And, and when he said this, Luke says that he showed them his hands and his feet. And, and I love these words. He says, Luke writes, he says, 
while in their joy they were disbelieving. So can you, can, you, can you imagine the emotions at the same time? They're full of joy. Jesus, it's you. But at the same time, no, it can't be you. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. They were disbelieving um, and still wondering. And Jesus said to them, well, um, <clears throat> have you got anything here to eat? And they, yeah, yeah. They go and they get him a piece of broiled fish. And, and Luke says that he took it and he ate it in, in their presence. Um, Luke tells us here that these disciples were startled, that they were, that they were frightened, right? That they were troubled, filled with doubt. Have you ever kind of thought why that might be? Why would they have reacted in this way? Well, I mean, let's just be honest this morning. Seeing a dead man who was buried suddenly show up and, and is there amongst you doesn't make you think about chocolate eggs and fuzzy bunnies, does it? Does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, how would you feel if a formerly dead man had to arrive at your home, you know, at your dining table or in your lounge room or living room, and, and uh, he, you know, he, he touches you? <laughs> what? Or can I have something to eat if he asks you for a meal? I mean, what would you do? The disciples were struggling to believe who it was that they were seeing. Basically, what was happening was they were saying, this can't be happening. How can this be happening? This can't be happening. But they saw him. And they felt him. And they watched him eat. They watched the food go into his mouth and, and disappear. It wasn't the ghost they were looking at. Today is a really special day because today is about celebrating the physical, material resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we might ask ourselves this morning, why does it matter? Why should it matter? Why does the resurrected Christ's physical his coming to life again, why should it matter? Why does it matter that it's not just, you know, that the resurrection is not just a spiritual thing? That Jesus is, is not a, you know, that he's not a ghost. You know, why does this matter, this physical resurrection of Jesus? Well, I believe that the physical, tangible resurrection of Jesus matters for three reasons. And I want to talk about that this morning. The first reason why I believe the resurrection matters is for our minds. Because that's about our thought processes, how we think, how we see things. And so it's about what we believe. So the resurrection matters for our minds because it's about what we believe. The resurrection matters when it comes to what we believe. The second reason why I believe the resurrection is so important is because of our will. We all have a will. And the resurrection matters when it comes to our will because it's with our will that we choose how to live. So the resurrection matters for how we choose to live our lives. And the resurrection matters for our hearts because that's where we feel. So the resurrection matters because it's going gonna, it's gonna to have some kind of um, reaction or response in the area of our feelings. How do we feel about this? So I want to start with why it matters for our, our minds, right? For, for what we believe. Why does the resurrection matter for our minds? And so we looked at these words here. I've just read them in Luke 24, verse 38. Jesus says to these disciples, he says, Why are you frightened? And, and, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? In, in some versions of, of the Bible, it, does, it switches the word hearts for the word minds. 
Jesus says, why do doubts arise in your minds? Why do doubts arise? You know, a lot of people ask the question, can I have a relationship with God? You know, can, can, I, can I get, if I've got doubts, you know, can I really get to know God if, I, if I'm doubtful? Does, does the fact that I have doubt disqualify me from this Christianity thing? People will ask those kinds of questions. They say, well, I, I, I try to believe, you know, but, but I, I'm, st- I'm not sure. I still have some reservations. Can I move forward with Jesus? And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people doubt, why they doubt God, why they doubt Jesus, why they doubt the resurrection. A lot of reasons why people doubt. I think that one of the biggest reasons why people doubt has to do with family background. I honestly believe that people... Uh, grow up in homes and where they grow up in a home or in a family setting where God has never spoken about, it just it's it's something foreign to them. And so when somebody comes and speaks to God about them, they're like, really? Are you sure? Can that be real? So-and-so said it was a fairy tale. I'm inclined to believe with them. I'm doubtful about this. And increasingly, you know, the society we're living in, the culture we're living in, people are growing up in homes where God has never talked about parents are not interested in the things of God. So they don't talk about God. They don't talk about Jesus. And as a result, the people growing up in that, in, that, in that space don't believe in Jesus. I mean, if you've never really heard about who Jesus is, it's understandable that doubts may arise. Another reason why people struggle to believe, I think, <laughs> is because of um, uh, bad behavior of Christians. Yeah, just recently there's been some pretty toxic stuff coming out of some really high-profile church movements. And uh, what I've seen is that it's just created a lot of cynicism towards God and, and towards the church. And, and so people will look at Christians and go, really? You know, maybe you've experienced this where you've been working with someone, you know, or you know, maybe somebody in your family or at your school, and they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And they constantly talk about God and the Bible and stuff. But they live their lives in a way that is completely hypocritical. It doesn't line up. And so, you know, people just like, they're doubtful. Some people are, are raised in so-called Christian homes. And then they experience their parents, you know, abandoning a marriage. Or they experience parents abandoning their children. Um, or... It, there's abuse in that home setting or you know, somebody struggles with alcohol or, or drug abuse. You know, or, or they have parents who are deceptive in the way they do things. And so there are many things that Christians can do that will leave a bad taste in the mouths of people regarding Christianity. Sometimes churches even do this. You know? The messages that get preached are narrow-minded or, or judgmental. You know, it's like the preacher gets up there and it's, he's always talking about hell or damnation. Rah, you're all going to hell. You better repent. You know, and it's like, and they almost do it with glee. They do it like with a sense of glee. Uh, and so churches are guilty of this kind of stuff. Christ, uh, churches can be unwelcoming of people who um, are struggling with real problems. And so I understand that bad experiences with Christians can turn people off when it comes to considering faith in Jesus. Um, there's a lot in the Christian world that I would not want to be associated with. I 
it, I don't think it would be long for any of us to draw up a list of reasons why you know, um, Christians do things you know, or, or the things that Christians do that make us cringe. Uh, but here's a newsflash. Um, every human being does stuff, right? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian. People do stuff. They do cringe-worthy things. They do cruel things, ignorant things. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily be associated with those people either. <laughs> so whether they believe us or unbelievers, I, I'd rather steer clear of that kind of stuff. So Christians do a lot of things, right? Not you, of course. The person next to you, maybe. I don't, don't know. No, we all do. And interestingly, you know, when it comes to doubt and, and faith, some people struggle to believe because what they do is they compare their faith to the faith of others. It seems to them that the faith of other people comes so easily, so naturally to these other people. They'll say things like, well, they talk about hearing from God, you know, God told me this or God told me that. Uh, you know, they, they have all these experiences in, in God that I've never ever had. I, I try to believe, I try to read the Bible, I pray. I might even go to a small group, you know, but, but I just I don't, I don't get this constant sense of God guiding me. I don't have the same feelings that those other people seem to have. And so for them, it, like, it raises doubts. I just want to say that if that's you, uh, uh, if you think that normal faith means a person has a constant feeling of God's presence, I'd encourage you to read a book which is pretty much in the center of the Bible called the Book of Psalms. Because the writers of Psalms, especially David, constantly write about these feelings of not being connected with God. Sometimes David writes about kind of being abandoned by God, of disappointment in God, not experiencing God's blessings, of looking around and seeing everyone else who seems to be doing really well. And so the book of Psalms tells us that you know, normal faith is not always living at a mountaintop. It's not always rosy style. woo Sometimes it's old dog faith, yeah? Sometimes faith means that you're out there in, in a desert place or a wilderness place, uh, you know, in the valley. I think many of us probably could identify with the Father in the Gospels who Jesus encourages this guy to have faith. And his response to Jesus is, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's like, what? And so it's normal to, to feel a mixture of both faith and doubt. But you, but you can still move on in your relationship with God even if you struggle with doubt. In fact, the great thing about Jesus is that you can ask Him to help you. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will help you with your faith if you open to that. But I want to I switch gears just for a moment and talk about intellectual reasons why we should believe. Just for a moment. I mean, this, is, this is a huge topic. There's no ways I could cover it in a Sunday morning message. But I do want to say that the physical resurrection of Jesus was not just some recycled myth from the ancient world. Honestly, no one in history had ever told a story like this before. No one. People living at the time of Jesus, in Jesus' day, in the first century, were completely disinclined to believe a story of the physical resurrection of someone. They were like, there's just no ways that this could happen. The Greeks at the time were, were, in fact, they weren't looking forward to a physical resurrection because the Greeks believed that in the afterlife, the soul would be liberated from the physical body. And so it was unthinkable for the Greeks to imagine ever living in a material body. So for them, it was like, it's just, we, we can't believe this. 
Even the Jews, the Jews at the time of Jesus, you know, the Jews have always believed in a general resurrection at the end of time. But the Jews at the time of Jesus, in his day, when they heard the followers of Jesus talking about his resurrection, the Jews said, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's a, it's a fairy tale. The day of resurrection could not have come because there's still evil in the world. People are still dying. People are still sick. What do you mean? There's no, the, the resurrection will come, but, but there's no, you know, the Jews just did, did not believe that, that Jesus could have been resurrected. A, a man who gets resurrected in the middle of history? No, nonsense. Some people say that the story grew over time. Uh, they say that it started with the disciples um, saying that the spirit of Jesus lived on um, you know, while his body was just rotting away in the grave. And they say that over ge the generations, the, the memory of Jesus morphed into this legend of the physical resurrection. So if you're here this morning and you're one of these people who might have doubts, if you say, I struggle to believe in the, in the physical, tangible resurrection of Jesus, I want to give you some reasons why I believe in a physical, tangible resurrection of my Lord Jesus. And maybe you can think about some of these things that I'm going to say this morning. There are a bunch of reasons why I believe there's evidence that points to the resurrection. But I'm just going to pull out two. The first for me, and it's a really powerful one, is, is uh, the very first witnesses who, who witnessed to the fact that he was no longer in the grave. The woman. You know, the, the New Testament records women as the first people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. In the second century, there was a Greek philosopher. His name was Celsus. And um, he, he was highly antagonistic to Christianity. He even wrote a, a number of works where he, was, he listed arguments against the Christian faith. And one of the arguments that he thought was like one of the strongest arguments went like this. This is from Celsus in the second century. He said, Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. And we all know that women are hysterical and they can't be believed. Quite a thing to say. Uh, I don't think he'd get away with that in 2022, right? I just don't think the guy would get away with any of that. But the second century was a very long time ago. We're, we're like 2,000 years down the line. And, and, and that ancient time was very different to the time we, we live in. And in that time, in that ancient society, women, if you know, any, if you know history, you'll know that women were like second-class citizens. Women were marginalized. And, and the testimony of, of women would never, ever be accepted in a court or, or by people. You wouldn't believe what a woman had to say. A woman's hysterical. There were people who supported Celsus. They were like, yeah, you're right. The men, right? Of course, you're right. It's a man's world. But the common thinking really was that, that women were unreliable. Women would tell you anything. So, you know, so... You couldn't regard them as being reliable. But do you see what it means? Do you see what it means? Because it means that if the gospel writers were making up these stories to kind of get some movement off of the ground, the last thing that they would have done would have been to write women 
into the story as the first eyewitnesses to seeing Jesus and to seeing an empty tomb. The only possible reason for the presence of women in these accounts in the Gospels is because it really happened. Those women reported what they saw, that Jesus was physically, tangibly raised from the dead. And so when I look at that and I look at history and I look at the way things and I go, you know what? If, why would you put women into the story if the whole of society would go, it's not credible? It had to be. Here's another reason that I believe in the, in the physical, tangible resurrection of Jesus. And you might want to think about what I'm going to say now. But, I, but I, I'd ask the question, what accounts for the, the absence of veneration or respect for the, you know, veneration, that word means respect. It means awe, like that, that, like that awe. What, what, what accounts for, the, for the, uh, the absence of that when it comes to the tomb of Jesus? What accounts for the absence of veneration around the tomb of Jesus? Because it's a historical fact that within a couple of generations of the resurrection of Jesus, people lost track of where his tomb was. They didn't know where it was. By the second century, there was debate and there was discussion about where the tomb of Jesus was located. And I know you can go to Jerusalem today and you'll probably find any kind of tour guide who's going to say, oh, I'll take you, I know where it is. And, uh, and, and uh, I think one of the popular sites is the, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in, in, in Jerusalem. But actually, if you go Google this, you'll find that there's a number of possible sites for the tomb of Jesus. And so it's quite remarkable, you know, because... If you think of the culture in which we live, including Judaism, the, the tombs of these prophets and important people were venerated. They were regarded as being an important place. Any Muslim uh, will make a pilgrimage to the tomb of Muhammad. In fact, they say that at least once in your life, as a good Muslim, you should go to the tomb of Muhammad because they venerate the tomb of, of Muhammad. People will go to the tomb of Confucius. People, uh, the Jews would go to the burial place of Abraham and Sarah. Mormons visit Joseph Smith's grave. What was that band, that guy? I went to his grave. You're laughing at me. The Who. Was it The Who? Jim Morrison. What band was he from? The Doors. The Doors. I went on a Kentucky tour to Europe many, many years ago. And I was like, these guys, we've got to go to the grave of Jim Morrison in Paris. I'm like, who's Jim Morrison? The doors, don't you know? Come on, baby, light my fire. You know? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we, and I head off. And I'm, because now these, these followers of Jim Morrison, and they, they venerate the tomb. And there's this, and when I arrived, I mean, we get into this dodgy area of Paris. I can't speak French. Monsieur, monsieur, oui, what? You know, you find you, and we go, and here at this, at this, at this slab of, you know, marble or whatever it was in the ground there, there's empty whiskey bottles and beer cans and there's alcohol and there's guys who are smoking stuff around the grave of Jim, you know. What a weird culture that we live in. But, but they venerate these places because this was an important figure. But not so with Jesus. Very quickly, followers lost track of the tomb of Jesus. Why? Why was there no venerating of the tomb of Jesus in, in the first centuries of the Christian church? Why is that? We don't, we don't even read about that. i got a book on church history, and there's nothing about that in the book. The reason is because Jesus was not there. The tomb was empty. 
The early Christians knew that he wasn't there, so there was no reason for them to go and visit this tomb. It became unimportant. And so for me, that stands out. You know, I think there are many more reasons that we could point to. I just don't have time this morning as to why it makes sense to believe in the physical, tangible resurrection of Christ. But let me move on. And, and let's consider why the physical resurrection of Jesus matters for your will. Why would the physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus matter when it comes to the way that we choose to relate to God? There's a, there's a story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. And the story tells us, uh, well, it's an account uh, of Luke, where, where the apostle Paul goes to Athens, Greece, goes up this hill. It was called Mars Hill. And on Mars Hill, there were all these philosophers, and there were all these gods. They had these carved idols and stuff to all these gods, God of this, the God of that, and there was one to the unknown God. And so Paul's coming along, and all these Greek philosophers, you know, they're philosophizing and talking about the meaning of life and, you know, what God to follow. And Paul comes up, this Jewish Roman half-breed type guy, you know, he comes and he starts talking to these philosophers. And, and uh, he says to them when he gets, gets to this, this idol of the unknown God, he says, I, 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 I believe in a God who doesn't believe in temples made by human hands. I believe in a God who doesn't need anything from human beings. And the, can you imagine the philosophers? They were like, well, this is great. Who are you, you know? What's this foreign message from this Jewish guy? This is awesome stuff that he's talking about. This is part of the truth that we, we each have our own way, you know, to apprehend the concept of God. And they're smiling and talking to Paul, listening to what Paul has to say. Until Paul says this. Let's just read these words quite slowly because they're quite confronting. Paul says this to them. He's, he's busy talking about the meaning of life, the gods. And then Paul says this. He says, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What does that word repentance mean? It means it comes from the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your way of thinking. So Paul says, while God has overlooked your ignorance in times gone past, he says, I want you to listen to me. Now things have changed because now God commands everybody everywhere to change their way of thinking in light of the resurrection of the risen Lord. He says, God says, you've got to change your way of thinking. You've got to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to everyone, Paul says, by raising him from the dead. That's when the philosophers got up and began to tell Paul, we've had enough. Yeah, No ways. We're not going to listen to this. You started off so well, Paul. Come on, we were listening to you. You were talking about spiritual things. You know, there are no answers. Come on, Paul. It's just questions. There's no end. It's just a journey. It's, spiritual. it's a spiritual journey. But when Paul began to talk about a physical, tangible resurrection of Jesus, for them it was like throwing ice-cold water in their faces. Whoa, what are you doing? What are you saying? 
Well, Paul was saying that the search, hey guys, the search is over. The journey has ended. The questions that you've been asking about the meaning of life have answers. God has overlooked your ignorance before, but now that Jesus has risen from the dead, he is Lord. And, and, and Paul's saying over here, he says, listen, the only issue here is what are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him? Are you going to humble yourself and surrender your life to him? Or are you going to turn your back on him and reject him? What are you going to do? You know, there's, a, there's an old story about some blind men and an elephant. And uh, the one, they've got to describe what the elephant's like. And, and the one blind man's got the elephant's tail. He says, oh, this elephant's like a, a rope. And the other guy's up against the elephant's side. And he says, this elephant's like a wall. <laughs> the other guy's got the elephant's leg. This elephant's like a tree. The other guy's got the tusk. Oh, this, this, elephant, this elephant's like a giant sword. The story, the purpose of that story is, 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 to, is designed to communicate to all of us that, it, that, it, that we all just have part of the truth, that we don't see the whole. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, I'm part of the truth. Jesus said, I'm one truth among many truths. He didn't say, I'm the pointer to the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And Paul's saying the same thing about Jesus. He's saying, with the resurrection of Jesus, the journey is over. We've reached our destination with the resurrection. The day of questioning is over. We've got our answer. The physical, tangible resurrection of Jesus means that all of us are now faced with a choice. Believe that he rose from the dead and that he is Lord and submit to him or reject this belief and, and walk away. Let's kind of let's wrap it up by considering why Jesus physical resurrection matters for your heart. I think the resurrection matters for our hearts because the resurrection deals with, with um, our past and the resurrection deals with our future, both our past and our future. You know, so many people in life, they live with a, a sense of disappointment over unrealized dreams. Um, it's like, I haven't done that. I haven't achieved it. I haven't got there. I'm a bit like that sometimes. Ask my wife. I'm like, oh, I'm 63 and I still haven't got. I look good for 63. You know? <laughs> but I never achieved that. I didn't do that. And, and you know, a lot of people these days, they have, has anybody got a bucket list here? A lot of people have a bucket list. Of, Debbie's got a bucket list you know, of things that you want to do before you die. What do you want to do before you die? I want to become a millionaire. I want to, you know, see the northern lights. I want to walk on the great wall of China. You know, I want to fall in love. Whatever it is, you know, you've got a bucket list. <clears throat> I don't know if you've got a bucket list. Um, but, but, I, but I do know that all of us have disappointments. And all of us carry things in our hearts that we wish we could have done. Or that we might have experienced. Things that we wish might have been different. And... and when you really get to grips with who God is and what he has done through Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, I believe in my heart that it, that it answers all of our 
disappointments and our regrets. You know, you might say that I, I, wish, I, I wish I'd chosen a different career. Or I wish, you know, I, I'd, I had, a, had a happy marriage. Or I wish I'd traveled when I was younger. You know, because Jesus was physically raised from the dead, I want to tell you this morning that if you put your trust in him and by faith believe, because he was raised from the dead, you and I are going to have a life that is beyond anything that you could ever ask or possibly ever even imagine. That's what the New Testament teaches. Those who have trusted in Jesus, the Bible says, are heading for this huge, it talks about a wedding banquet. We're heading for this wedding banquet one day. This, this time when the church is somehow going to be, become like a bride married to the risen Jesus Christ. It, it's talking about the very real presence of God with us. And, and the scripture talks about, uh, in Genesis it talks about creation having fallen because we have an enemy. And through the cross God has done away with the work of the enemy and we are heading towards a time when all things will be restored. When the whole of creation is going to be as God wanted it to be. The way Paul words this in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, he says, he says, listen, this is what's been written. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived what God has got prepared for those who love him. Let me, let me tell you a story. I don't know how many of you know um, a woman whose name is Joni Erickson Tater. And she's, uh, I think she's in her early 70s now. But at the age of 17... She had a diving accident, and, uh, and she uh, had a spinal cord injury and has for pretty much her whole life been in a, in a wheelchair. She's a quadriplegic. Um, and she said that every, every week in, the, in, in church, I'm one of those guys who tell me a tearful story, I'll have tears. So if I start crying, I hope you can hear me. Um, she, she says that every week she'd be in church and, and the priest in the liturgy would say, let's kneel down. And um, it just drove home the point to her that she couldn't get out of her wheelchair. And she says, you know, she was, she's been an amazing force for Jesus. She has spoken in conferences and, and just been an amazing example of God's goodness, even through that disability. But she was saying at this one Christian convention that she was at, the speakers said, um, they said, let's all just get down on our knees and, and let's just begin to worship God. And um, she, she said, everybody in the place got on their knees except, except for her. She couldn't. She was locked into this wheelchair. And so she began to cry. But it wasn't because she couldn't move. She said this. <sighs> I don't want to bore because I'm going to mess it up, but it just touches my heart. She said, sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I'm going to be free to jump up and dance and kick and do aerobics. And then she said, she said, Sorry. She said, sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, she said, 
the first thing that I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees and kneel quietly at the feet of Jesus. And she concluded her statement saying this, Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives to someone who has a spinal cord injury like me? Folk, I want you to understand this morning that you too, if you're a believer in Christ, will have a resurrected body one day. And the resurrection promises not just new hopes or new feelings or new and rich experiences. The resurrection promises all of us new physical bodies. The glory of the resurrection is going to wipe away every regret of the past. In fact, I think that we're going to be so in awe of who God is that everything that, we, that troubles us now is just going to fade away. It's going to fade away. And so I want you to be assured this morning, as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ, be assured that the resurrection is going to take care of both your, your past and your future. You might be sitting here thinking this morning, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't want to be on my own in my old age. I, I, I'm scared of getting old. I'm, I'm scared of getting sick. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of suffering. I'm afraid of dying. I, you know, I, I, I'm scared of taking risks. I'm scared of leaving my job. I'm, I'm scared of laying it all down. Or, or God's, I feel God's calling me to do something. I feel God's saying, you need to get out and do this. Change the course of your life. But I'm scared. I'm afraid of doing that. I don't know if I can do what God wants me to do. I want to say to you this morning, whatever your anxiety is, the physical resurrection of Jesus is the answer for your fear of the future. One day... You will have a perfect life. You will have a real concrete life with Jesus when he raises you from the dead. So many Christians do not understand this, and I just think it's because they've never read through the scriptures. They think that we're just going to go to heaven somewhere and get a cloud with a harp. That's not the teaching of scripture. The scripture says, because of the resurrection of Jesus, so too those who believe in him will also be resurrected. And so you know what that means? It means that we can be brave in this life. It means we can take risks. It means we can sacrifice if we need to sacrifice. We can delay ourselves, delay self-gratification if needed for the sake of others. We can choose to follow the path of love even when it's difficult, even when people come and cause us pain or suffering or hurt. We can still choose the path of love because we know what's to come. Easter is not some inspiring philosophy. And Jesus ain't no ghost. He's not a ghost. He was physically, tangibly raised from the dead. And those who choose to believe in him one day will be physically, tangibly raised from the dead along with him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you this morning for your goodness. Lord, I, I thank you for the example of people who've gone before us, like Joni, through her absolute faith in her, in you, Lord, and the hope that she has, that you have done something in her to not hold her back. Lord, I, I don't know this morning what the state is of everyone who 
professes to love you or live for you. You know the, the state of each heart here this morning. But God, I pray that the reality of the resurrected Christ would be something that is like a solid concrete foundation within our hearts. And that we would learn from others, that we would look to the testimony of others, as Lindsay testified this morning. That's a breakthrough of your kingdom, of what we can expect then, we can see it now, because you still love us, Lord, and your kingdom breaks through in these ways. And that's a tangible sign of what's to come. We're going to be with you in a place where there's going to be no pain, no suffering, no illness, no disease, no tears. The hope that you've given us, Lord, that we can't even begin to put together in our brains. You call us to believe it by faith. But Lord, we know this morning that there's strong evidence that we can point to that gives our faith not a flimsy foundation, but a strong foundation. And so God, I for one this morning stand in awe of the fact that Jesus was resurrected. I stand in awe of the fact of the work of the cross for what took place, the defeat of our enemy, the blood that was poured out for forgiveness of sins, the fact that we can be reconciled to our holy God. I give you thanks this morning. And I pray, God, that as we head into the remaining months of this year, that we'll be reminded of who we are in you. And, Father, for those who may be a bit far from you or a bit distant, maybe those have doubts, would you work in their lives in some way to diminish those doubts? And perhaps, God, they would take a step of saying, okay, let me see what this is about. Let me open up my life. Lord, if that door opens by the power of your Spirit, would you work in that life? I ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.